Well, if you open your Bibles this morning, we are in John chapter 1. We're continuing in our study through the gospel of John. Uh, we're uh, we're going to finish up chapter 1 today, part 4. Uh, so uh, four weeks to get through the first chapter. This is a 21-chapter book, so uh, we'll see how long we're in John. But... Uh, but we're here in, in John uh, chapter 1, and I'm just going to pick it up. I'm just going to read through the text this morning, and then we'll jump right in. So we left off um, talking about um, Andrew coming to the Lord and sharing the gospel with his brother. And so I'm going to back up. We'll pick it up in verse 41. It says that Andrew first found his own brother, Simon, and he said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. And now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. And the following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip, and he said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew, and Peter, Bethsaida is a fishing town. It's, uh, it's right there where the Jordan flows into uh, the, the uh, Sea of Galilee. And, uh, and so all of those nutrients flowing into the lake there, and that's uh, just a prime fishing spot. And so that was Bethsaida, this fishing town. And Philip found Nathanael. And he said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of of Joseph, and uh, this is not a denial of the virgin birth or anything of that nature. This is just the the formal way of describing somebody. You would call them after their father, and so he says, "The son of Joseph." And Nathaniel said to him, "Can anything good come out of Nazareth?" And Philip said to him, "Come and see." And Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him, and he said of him, "Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no deceit." And Nathaniel said to him, "How do you know me?" And Jesus answered, and he said to him, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered, and he said to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered and said to him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter, you shall see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Last week, you'll recall, we looked at this inextricable link between the Messiah and the messenger. And here in chapter 1, John describes the, Jesus the Messiah as the Word of God that brings light and life uh, to, to, uh, to a dead and dark world. He described him as the son of man, the only begotten of the father. And John also described Jesus as the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so we said to Messiah, we also see several faithful messengers bearing witness to the Messiah. Last week, we saw John the Baptist and Andrew both uh, witnessing. And today we see Philip witnessing to Nathaniel, and if we're paying attention, we actually see four ways that people come to know the Lord as their Savior. Andrew came to Jesus through preaching, through the preaching of John the Baptist. Uh, Peter came through the witness of his brother. Philip came through the direct call of Jesus, and Nathaniel came through the witness of his friend. And these are urgent examples for urgent times. These are things we need to understand. And we've been emphasizing, hey, the Messiah, the messenger. 
that we have received the baton uh, from those who have gone before us. We all in this room, having received the Lord Jesus Christ uh, through preaching, through witness of a family member, or through witness from a friend, we have all come to know uh, the Lord. And um, we, we understand and we have to keep clear in our minds that coming to Jesus is our only hope. Um, because apart from Jesus, listen, we are living under a death sentence. We live under a death sentence, and it's so critically important that we do the work of a messenger. Now, we have in our example uh, today, uh, Philip uh, coming to the Lord by his direct call. That verse 43 says that Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, it's interesting, we read through the Gospels and we see examples like that where Jesus reaches out to and calls people directly. Um, but as you go through the rest of the New Testament, the only other example we have where that happened um, was the Apostle Paul. When he's on the road to Damascus and Jesus meets him there, calling him directly. Every other example we have after Jesus ascended into heaven uh, are uh, people coming to know the Lord through witness through testimony, through family members, through friends, uh, and, and, and all. And, and we need to understand that, the, and even the Apostle Paul, in that example, Jesus met him on the road to Damascus, but he sent him to another man, for this other man to uh, lay hands on him and pray for him and for his eyes to be opened and, and for him to receive the Holy Spirit and all. And so the, 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 the case can be made. Certainly, the Lord is present, he's active, he's working, his Holy Spirit has been poured out, and the Holy Spirit existing in several capacities uh, right now, where that he is with everybody, he's with the saint and with the sinner, he's with the worst criminal on death row, uh, who has yet to bow his knee, and the Holy Spirit is with, you know, the Mother Teresas of the world, who are, who are doing wonderful things, and everywhere in between, and in that role, he's drawing men to the Father, he, he is connected. He is convicting the world of sin and all of these things. And, 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 and yet, uh, there, there is then the second work of the Holy Spirit. When we come to know the Lord, when we bow our knee to him, then he comes to dwell inside us. And then the third way that the Holy Spirit is active in the world is that uh, he comes upon us. He empowers us for, for special uh, acts of obedience in following after him. And so he's with us, he's in us, he's upon us. And so in the capacity of being with us, yes, the Lord is working to draw men and women unto himself, but his model and the pattern that we see throughout the, Old, or the New Testament is that he works through faithful witnesses, those that are going to proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ and themselves be filled with and empowered by the Holy Spirit to be able to share the message. We got to keep that clear because Jesus is the only hope of mankind because this world lives in darkness and under a death sentence. Uh, Paul, or uh, First Chronicles rather, uh, says this, that we are here only for a moment. We are visitors and strangers in the land as our ancestors were before us. Our days on earth are like a passing shadow gone so soon and without a trace. James says much the same thing. He says, look here, you who say today or tomorrow, we're going to a certain town and we'll stay there a year. We'll do business there. We'll make a profit. He says, how do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Uh, your life is like the morning fog. It's here for a little while and then it's gone. 
And the Bible says that this is the consequence of sin. Paul told the Romans in Romans chapter 5, when Adam sinned, sin entered into the world, and Adam's sin brought death, and so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. And this, of course, is not just a physical death, uh, but it's also speaking of a spiritual death. And so we have the consequences of sin in the fact that we suffer death physically, but we also have, a, have suffered and are born into sin. And so spiritually speaking, what is required is that we need to be born again by the Spirit of God. And that only comes through Jesus Christ. And this is what Paul again goes on to say to the Romans in Romans chapter 5, verse 15. He says, but there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to so many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And so this is the urgent message for an urgent need. And so we need to do our part to be faithful to tell people about Jesus Christ. And last week we left off with Andrew bringing this message to Peter. Look again in verse 42. It says that he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus looked at him, he said, you are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. Understand Peter's given name was Simon, right? The son of Jonah. And... Simon was a very common name in, in this day and age. We uh, hear about Simon the Zealot, uh, another one of Jesus' apostles. We uh, read in the, the Gospels about Simon of Cyrene, um, who carried Jesus' cross. We read about uh, Simon, the, the, uh, the father of Judas. As well, we read about Jesus' half-brother, whose name was Simon. Um, but Jesus here, he gives Simon this new name in verse 42. He gives him the name Cephas. This is an Aramaic word, and it literally means stone or it means rock. Peter is the Greek translation of that word Cephas. Meaning it means the same thing. Now, understand, this name did not fit Peter naturally. You know, in, when I was in the, in the fire department, everybody got a nickname. Didn't matter who you were, you got a nickname. And your nickname inevitably was based on your, the characteristics of who you were, right? And, and so we had a guy that uh, we called the gear, and it was short for fifth gear because he only had one speed. And he was always going. As a matter of fact, it's horrible. I can't even remember his real name today. I just remember the gear, right? Uh, that was his nickname. We had another guy we called Doogie Hauser. And for, all of, for those of you that are old enough to remember the show, Doogie Hauser was uh, about this young kid who was brilliant and went through school really quickly. And so he's this young kid who was a medical doctor, right? Doogie Hauser. And we had this guy, he was a captain at the time. And, uh, and we called him Doogie Hauser because the man was brilliant. And he promoted through the ranks really quickly. As a matter of fact, uh, he not only was probably the youngest captain, uh, the youngest guy that ever made captain, but he ultimately became chief of the entire department, the entire Riverside County Fire Department. This guy was the chief. Uh, and again, the youngest chief, certainly, that they'd ever had. I'm, I'm positive of it. So Doogie Hauser. We had another guy. This was my partner for many years, a guy we called Topper. And we called him Topper because it didn't matter what your story was, he had a story that could top it, right? <laughs> and so he was known as Topper. 
And, uh, and so uh, I, sharing this last night, I, I omitted, and I had uh, a group of kids come up to me afterward. They said, well, what was your nickname? Um, my nickname was Trigger. Uh, and, uh, you know, just Trigger, because I was a hair trigger. You know, I would just go off. Um, I think Peter, if he would have been in the fire department, uh, he would have got a nickname too. We might have called him Trigger, uh, or we would have called him Nitro, um, because Peter was impulsive, he was reactive, uh, he acted on impulse, you know, and uh, didn't take much, you know, for Peter. He was a ready, shoot, aim kind of guy. Kind of, kind of admire him. Um, under the right conditions, those can be some good, useful qualities, you know, somebody who's just ready to go. But under in the the, the sinful flesh. It made Peter unstable, it made him unreliable, it made him unfaithful. And, and so why on earth does Jesus give him a nickname that doesn't fit for what his natural character is? Well, if you read 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And that phrase, have become, it's the Greek word genomai, and it represents a change of condition. It represents a change of state. It represents a change of place. And the idea is that Jesus saw Peter not for who he was naturally. Jesus saw Peter for who he would be in Christ. And the Bible gives us lots of examples where God does this. God gives new names to people. We read in, Genesis, in Judges chapter 6 that, that the angel of God shows up, appears to a guy named Gideon, and he calls him a mighty man of valor. And at this particular moment, that's a joke because Gideon was hiding from the Midianites at this point. He was threshing wheat, and the way you thresh wheat is you crush it, and then you throw it up in the air and you let the wind blow the chaff away. Well, in order to do that, you're usually doing this, the threshing floor is usually in a windy place, kind of like you know, we would have it in our courtyard at 5 p.m. That would be a threshing place where the wind blows through. Not Gideon, he was hiding inside a wine press, down in, inside this, you know, hidden place. Why? Because he was afraid. And God shows up and says, you're a mighty man of valor. Seeing him for who he would be, not for who he was. Same with Abraham. We looked at him last week. Abraham was known as the father of many nations because God called him that. But he called him that when he was barren and childless and an old man with no hope of having kids, naturally. And yet the Lord shows up, calls him the father of many nations. Why? For what God was going to do in his life. And here's the good news for you and me this morning. God changes our name too. He changes our name too. Before Christ, listen, we all had a name in this world right? And some of us hold to that name. Some of us earned the name that we have in this world. Some of us had names that we were labeled with by others. Some of us have names that we chose for ourselves, right? Some of us earned the names that we had in this world. I think of some of the guys here in the testimonies, and, and I think of my own testimony, and the names that sometimes we've earned for ourselves: drinker, partier, cheater, meth head. These are names we earn for ourselves, by our sinful flesh. Some of us were labeled with a name by other people. You're a loser. You're a victim. You're, you're stupid. You're, you're unwanted. 
right? Some of us have names that we choose for ourselves. I think of uh, Naomi in the book of Ruth. If you're familiar with the story, Naomi moves from Bethlehem with her husband down to Moab. And so her husband and her two sons, her two sons, uh, uh, um, Malin and Chiliab, I think are the names, if I remember it correctly. And basically they mean death and dying. What a bummer of a name, right? And they, they lived up to their name. The husband dies, her two sons die. And so here you've got this gal, Naomi, who, who now angry, broken, bitter, she moves back from Moab, back to Bethlehem. And as she comes back to her town, all of her friends see her. They go, could this be Naomi? Oh my gosh, it's Naomi. Naomi, how are you? Well, the name Naomi means pleasant, right? And Naomi corrects him. She goes, do not call me pleasant. Call me bitter. Call me Mara. That's, that's the name which means bitter. She goes, I'm not pleasant. I'm bitter, right? A name that she chooses for herself. And maybe today you've been known by a name in this world, a name that you've earned or a name that somebody put on you or a name that you've taken for yourself, right? Listen, here's the thing. The Bible promises a new name for those that are in Christ. Revelation chapter two, verse 17 says, God's promise to all who overcome in Jesus is that you will have a new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, Revelation 2.17, to him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat and I will give him a white stone and on the stone, a new name. Listen, you do not have to live according to that old name. You have a new name in Christ. And some of y'all need to hear this. You need to hear this because some of, you, some of us, we have a name that we have embraced. And the enemy, he comes and he lies to us. And if people tell you a lie long enough, you start to believe it. And maybe this morning, you're dealing with this name that you now have embraced. You know, I am a loser. I, I am a blow it. I am unloved. I am unwanted. If, if, I, if I were to just check out, nobody would care, really. Listen, God cares. God has given you a new name in Jesus Christ. And if you are outside of a relationship with the Lord, you can receive that new name. The Bible says if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. Now, just because you have a new name in Christ doesn't always mean you're gonna act like it, right? Doesn't always mean you're gonna act like it. In Luke's gospel, we get an interesting introduction to Peter there. Luke describes him in Luke 6, 14 as Simon, whom Jesus also named Peter, right? That word, uh, that use of the word also is very important because although Jesus gave Peter a new name, Luke says he was also named Peter. Here's the idea, that sometimes he acted like Simon and sometimes he acted like Peter, right? John MacArthur makes the observation that as you read through the Gospels, oftentimes when Peter was acting like his old self, that Jesus would call him by his old name. And he gives a couple of examples. For example, when Jesus warned his disciples before going to the cross, he says, hey, all y'all are going to forsake me. You're going to abandon me, right? You're going to run away scared. And Peter steps up and he says, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. 
Uh, Jesus, I know you said I'm going to stumble, but you're wrong, Jesus. I will not stumble. And the Lord said, Luke 22, 31, Simon, Simon, he emphasizes it twice. Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. It's as if, as if Jesus is saying here, hey, dude, you are not acting like a rock right now. You are acting like your old self, and I'm going to call your name twice, so you just take a good long look in the mirror. You're Simon right now. Another example, after Peter did deny the Lord, shock of shocks, Jesus was right, right? After he denied the Lord, Jesus had, had gone to the cross, and then he had risen from the grave, and he appeared to everybody, and then he told his disciples, listen, I want you to wait in Galilee, right? Wait for me there. Go to Galilee, wait for me there. So they go there, and Peter now, talk about the record that plays in your head, the name that we embrace for ourselves. We've got this record. It's on repeat, right? And the record that's on repeat in Peter's mind is you blew it. You're damaged goods. You're no good anymore. And so Peter dejectedly, and we'll get there eventually at the end of John's gospel, but dejectedly, he says, I'm going fishing. And, and the way it's structured in the original language, basically what Peter is saying is, I'm going back to fishing. I'm damaged goods. I can't serve the Lord as an apostle anymore. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not an apostle, I'm an F-apostle. So I'm gonna, go, I'm gonna go back to fishing. So he goes back to fishing. Now remember when Jesus called Peter to, to, to be his disciple and you, you read about it in Luke chapter five, because, you know, you, you might get the impression that this is the first encounter that Jesus has with some of these disciples. No, he had multiple encounters with these guys. And then ultimately at various times, he pressed them into service. In Luke's gospel, in Luke chapter 5, Peter was fishing, right? And he fished all night and he caught nothing. And the Lord shows up and he says, hey, put out a little bit from the shore. And they go out and they go fishing. And then he says, hey, let's go fishing. Let down your net for the catch. The point is, Peter fished all night. He caught nothing. And, uh, and so at the end of John's gospel, Peter, out again, I'm damaged goods, I'm, I'm giving up, I'm going back to fishing, fishes all night, catches nothing, right? And, uh, and then all of a sudden, there's this, there's this dude on, on shore, and the disciple there that's with Peter, he looks, and he's like, it's, it's the Lord. And, and, and Peter's like, are you kidding me? Dives into the water, swims to shore, right? And there's Jesus. And Jesus has got what Peter fished all night for and caught nothing. Jesus has everything that he was looking for. And he's cooked it up for him. He's made breakfast there. He's cooked some fish. And, and they all sit down for a meal. Um, and we could go off on that and just say everything that we chase in the world, we, we work all night, it's useless. And everything that we're looking for, Jesus has even better, right? And so John chapter 21, verse 15, it says, so when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, clue, hey, you, need, you ain't acting like a rock right now. I'm going, back, I'm going back to fishing. I'm damaged goods. I'm not, you know, no, 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 that's Simon. So Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? What's the these? Well, I don't know. Peter had said, even if all of these deny you, I'll never deny you. So he could be referring to the, to the disciples. Do you love me more than these disciples who you said you did and before you denied me, right? Uh, do you love me more than these? It could have been the fish. He'd gone back to fishing. Do you, do you, I, you know, 
Do you, do you love me more than what you're looking to get in the world? Uh, we don't know. But he says, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. Very next verse, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. Third time, why? Because Simon had denied him three times. And so the Lord is reinstating him three times. Verse 17, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, you got a sting, right? You gotta, Peter's got to be mindful here. Wait a minute, you called me Peter. No, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. You know, that was the last time Jesus ever called him Simon. A couple weeks later, a few weeks later after this on Pentecost, Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit. He preaches a message and 3,000 people come to know the Lord. Here's the point. Jesus rescues and redeems us. And he sees you not for who you are, he sees you for who you will be in Jesus Christ. And maybe today, look, you might get discouraged. You might let that record play in your head because, you know, hey, I've blown it. Look, you're going to blow it. And that's not a, you know, green light to sin. That's just a, a statement of fact that you are going to blow it. But listen, Jesus is faithful to rescue. He's faithful to redeem. And if today you are living in your old name, whether, whether it's a, a Simon Peter situation to where sometimes you're, you're Simon, sometimes you're Peter, you really know the Lord. Maybe you're living in, in, a, in your, your worldly name because you've never come to know the Lord. Listen, today you can come to know Jesus. You can come back to Jesus. Again, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Bible says, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things have become a, a change of state, a change of being, a change of location. Hey, you can be transferred from the earthly to the heavenly. Have become new. Well, here now, the following day, Jesus wants to go to Galilee. Again, verse 43 and he found Philip, and he said to him, follow me. And now Philip was from Bethsaida, this fishing town, city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael. He says to him, hey, we found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, and he said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit. And Nathanael, shocked, right? How do you know me? And Jesus answers, says, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And he answered and said to him, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. And Jesus answered, said to him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, you believe? You're going to see greater things than these. And he said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter, you're going to see heaven and earth opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. There's a lot in here to unpack, right? And, and I could focus on the prejudice of Nathaniel here, which is kind of timely for where we're at, right? Nathaniel is revealing a prejudice toward, toward, towards the people uh, of Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth, right? And the, we could focus on the wisdom of, of Philip here as he's witnessing to Nathaniel. 
where, where rather than arguing against Nathan's prejudice, what does he say? He simply points him to Jesus. Come and see, right? Come and see. By the way, just a, a great prescription for us, you know, as we deal with issues of prejudice in this world. And, and, and as I've said before, I mean, we can find in our hearts where we become angry. Sometimes, you know, I find myself, I look at, at protests, and I'm talking about illegal protests where people are doing, you know, illegal things and breaking things and burning things, and I can become so angry and so upset, and, and the wisdom that says, come and see, where if I, if I just take a walk with and recognize that broken people do broken things, that lost people do lost things, that sin, this is what sin looks like. And, and I need to remember that, that the Bible says that the enemy has taken people captive to do his will. And so if I, if I take this prescription to come and see Jesus, and if I take the prescription to see people through the lens of Jesus, then what happens is rather than watching them with anger and disdain, I can begin praying for them. I can take the opportunity to say, what, is, what are their issues? What, what, are, what, are, what are the things that, that, that people, and really just take the time, come and see. Hey, the, the big lesson here is come and see Jesus, Right? But also, we can come and see where we can meet with people and find out, you know, what's going on. The Bible says we're, we're to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. And so there's a lot of wisdom there, but, but in keeping with the theme of God changing our name, I want you to notice Jesus' words to Nathaniel there in verse 47. As soon as he sees Nathaniel, what's Jesus say? He says, behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. The word deceit there that's, uh, that's used, the early Greek writers would use this word as synonymous with, with bait, like bait for catch, catching fish, right? And it signifies any cunning effort to deceive or to catch, right? The Bible uses this, this same word of deceit and deceptively catching somebody um, to describe Jacob. And Jacob deceived his brother Esau, stole his birthright, and stole his blessing. And Jesus here, he sees omnisciently, all-knowingly, he sees into Nathan's character, or into Nathaniel's character. And so he now uses this word, but he uses it in a, in a positive sense. He's essentially saying, here's a guy who's not like Jacob. That's essentially what he's saying. Now, obviously, this shocked Nathaniel because his response to it is, how do you know me, right? Now, seems like a simple statement. Here's a guy who in him is no deceit. There's no Jacob in this guy. And for, for him to say this, it, we, we might miss the significance of this, but as we read on here in the text, we kind of get some clues that Jesus tells Nathanael, I saw you under the fig tree. Now, this saying, this statement, I saw you under the fig tree, Jesus may well have literally seen Nathanael under a fig tree, but this, this phrase was a common phrase that rabbis used to describe meditating on the scriptures, right? So often I, I will tell you, and if we're teaching something, I'll say, hey, listen, why don't you take a walk with that? You know, at the end of the message today, I've got several questions, and I'll say, I want you to write these questions down. This week, I'd like you to take a walk with these questions. It's kind of the same idea. 
This, this attitude of being under the fig tree, it was where you would go and sit in the shade of a place, find a nice shady place to meditate on the scriptures. And it's very likely that what Nathaniel was doing when Jesus saw him was that he was meditating on the story of Jacob in Genesis 28. Now, here's the story of Jacob. Jacob was a crafty deceiver. He stole his brother's birthright. The way the story goes is that his dad's getting ready to check out. His dad is, is telling him, all right, I'm going to pass on my blessing. And he tells Esau, who was the firstborn, he says, hey, go, you're, you're a hunter, and, and I love the stew that you make, so, uh, so go get some wild game, kill it, make your famous stew, bring it to me, and then I'm going to give you my blessing. And so, uh, so Jacob hears this, his mom hears this, and they conspire together. She goes, hey, you know, let me make up that stew myself, and, uh, and, and you, you know, get dressed in, in your brother's clothes, so you kind of got his smell on you, and uh, they take some goat skin, and they put it on his hands and on his neck, and, uh, and the, you know, the, the old man, he's, he's old, and he's, he's, you know, he's losing his eyesight and all, and so, hey, you go in, and, you know, you pretend to be, to be Esau, and, um, and then, you know, you can, you can get this blessing. And so he does. He goes in and his dad blesses him and all and he receives this, this blessing. And, uh, and then a short while later, Esau comes back. Hey, got the game, makes the stew, goes into his old man. Here you go, here's your stew. And his dad's like, wait, what? No, I already gave my blessing to you. He's like, no, it wasn't me. He's like, oh, it's my brother. He stole my blessing, right? So now Esau's lit. He's going to kill his brother. And his dad basically tells uh, Jacob, you better get out of Dodge, man. He's going to kill you. So Jacob's on the run from his brother. And as he's on the run, what happens is, uh, is that the, the Lord meets him there. Well, um, basically, again, keep in mind what Jesus is saying to, to uh to Nathaniel here is, look, behold an Israelite indeed in whom there's no Jacob, right? And what Jesus says here is he says, because I, because I say to you, I, I, I saw you under the fig tree that, that you're going to believe? Well, why? Because, because Nathaniel's going, I was just in that section of scripture, right? And, and he says he saw me there. And now he tells me, there's no Jacob in you. Like only God could know that. But then Jesus says to him, verse 51, very key, most assuredly I say to you hereafter, you'll see heaven opened up and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Here's the significance of that. As you continue in Genesis 28, uh, the story I just told you is Genesis 27 leading up to this. But now in Genesis 28, Jacob's on the run. And, and so he finally stops for the night. He sets up a camp, finds a nice comfy rock for a pillow. He goes to sleep. And while he's sleeping, he's at a place called Bethel. As he slept, Genesis 28, verse 12, he dreamed of a stairway that reached from heaven up to earth. And he saw the angels of God going up and down the stairway. At the top of the stairway stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham, the God of your father Isaac. The ground you are lying on belongs to you. I'm giving it to you and to your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. 
And they're going to spread out in all directions, to the west, to the east, to the north, to the south. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. And so what's more, I'm with you. And I'm going to protect you wherever you go. And one day I'm going to bring you back to this land. I'll, I'll not leave you until I've finished giving you everything that I have promised you. And then Jacob awoke from his sleep and he said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I wasn't even aware of it. But he was also afraid. And he said, what an awesome place this is. It is none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. Listen, we draw to a close, and I want to get here to application. Jesus, in a sense, what he is saying to Nathaniel is, hey, brother, I am the ladder to the house of God. He's telling him, I'm the access by which man comes to God. I'm the one who ties heaven and earth together, and in me, Nathaniel, you're going to see heaven opened up. This is what Jesus is saying. And more than that, what Jesus is saying by telling Nathaniel all this, and this is why Nathaniel declares, you're the, you're, you're the king of Israel, right? You're the son of God. Because Jesus is saying, look, I see you. I know the ABCs of you. I know all about you, bro. I saw you when you're meditating on the scriptures. I saw you there. Well, shortly after this, when Jacob had this encounter with God, God changed his name, and he changed his name to Israel. Israel means God prevails. And our application today, as we read about this story, is that in Jesus, we'll see God. In Jesus, we have access to the very throne in heaven of God, and in Jesus, we prevail. Look, we're not going to prevail from our own craftiness. You're not going to prevail from your own, you know, works that you do. We are not going to prevail as a nation by having the right politicians in office. We're, we're not going to prevail by the laws that we choose to enforce or the laws that we pass. That's not what's going to bring us the place to prevail. We're not going to prevail with a better job. We're not going to prevail with more money in the bank. All those things are great right? That'd be wonderful, but that's not what makes you prevail, right? And I'm not saying, don't misunderstand me, Christians should vote. We should vote. Like now more than ever, we need to vote. We need to be pressing for and wanting to have, and the issue isn't necessarily that we need new laws. We just need to enforce the ones we've got for crying out loud. That's a great place to start. So all of those things are important and Christians should be active and engaged in those things, but that's not where our hope is. Our hope is in Jesus Christ and we prevail with him. Jesus said, my kingdom's not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. And so we need to understand, listen, Yes, our nation is a dumpster fire right now. And we need to be actively and engaged and praying and all of those things. But the hope and the thing that we need to be looking to is Jesus, the ladder who connects heaven to earth. And so three questions as we close today. Number one, what names best describe you apart from Jesus? What names best describe you apart from Jesus? This is important because so many have that record that plays over and over and over in their mind. And that's the name 
that we think about who we are, and it causes us to say, I'm giving up. I'm going back to fishing. So what are the names that you have or had apart from Jesus? Number two, what new name, or I will say it in the plural, names, has God given to you in Jesus Christ? This is a great study, by the way, as you read through the New Testament. You will see many names that you receive in Jesus Christ. Son of God, overcomer. Paul, Paul said that, uh, that we are more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. The, word, the Greek word is Nike, and it means overcomer. And, and, and the Bible has a lot to say. There's a lot of names that apply to us in Christ. It's a great study. What new names has God given to you in Christ? And a third question, Jesus saw Nathaniel under the fig tree. Where does he see you? He is omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere at the same time. Where's God see you? 